0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: I can't stop smiling We might have to play that clip again by Maria Callas Tonight, thanks to Maria Callas We're talking about coping with the ups and downs Related to diabetes And asking that big question Are you a drama queen? I mean that was a lot of drama two seconds ago. Uh, midway, we're midway through our year of the diva, and when I looked the word diva up in the dictionary, the Maria Callas's name is right at the top of the list. <laughs> uh, she, if you don't know, was an amazing soprano who was known for her t- intensely dramatic portrayals. That made her one of the most exciting opera singers of all time. You know, opera takes any type of dramatic story and tries to make it more exciting and more believable with the help of music. Like if you've ever seen the production of Madame Butterfly, you know that it's about a young geisha woman who's seduced and then she falls in love with a hot American soldier who's visiting Japan he leaves, but he promises to return, then she has a child, and then she just sits there and she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and then like an hour later, uh, there's never a happy ending in an opera, so I'm not going to give it away. You'll just have to come to the Met at Lincoln Center and see it for yourself. But tonight, we're asking, are you a Met foreman, Maria Callas, perhaps, a drama queen living with type 1 diabetes, I mean type 2 diabetes, or are you a drama queen living with type 1 diabetes? Symptoms and situations related to diabetes are often dramatic and come on very subtly. But how do you react to them? Every time you find yourself immersed in something that seems overwhelming, do you stop and think, oh, my gosh, this is an opportunity to learn how to deal with the challenges in life better? Or do you react like Chicken Little and say, the sky is falling, the sky is falling? I'll admit, I am a bit of a drama queen. <laughs> But I think I'm more of a drama queen in my own private thoughts. I tend to run to the extremes uh, in my brain about expectations of how I think things may happen. I seem to either imagine the very, very best or the very, very worst, and then hopefully settle on the middle. And I definitely think as I've gotten older, I've certainly mellowed out. Well, Maria Callas has used her dramatic strength of her low vocal range and bright notes of her high range to interpret a wide variety of different roles throughout her career. And tonight, my guests will be helping me discuss the highs and lows related to living with diabetes. I've got Dr. Wendy Staten-Rappaport joining me, Jill Weisenberger, No Diabetes by Heart Ambassador Rob Taub, Patricia Addy-Gentle, poet Lorraine Brooks, and Yoga for Diabetes director and author Rachel Zinman, who is joining us all the way from South Africa. Now, throughout this podcast, we're going to be featuring music from Grandio Stidman, Maria Callis, um, the Maria Callas album, courtesy of Sony Music. Take a minute right before we play some more music to make a donation to 5 equals 10 or check out their un- underwear merchandise. You know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. 5 to equals 10 is donating 10% of their company's profits to Diabetic, and our friend Doug Morris is going to be making a big announcement about their donation on the February podcast coming up. The second Tuesday of the month. Help us spread the word at about Five Equals Ten and visit org for more information. I love this next thing about our diva inspiration, Maria Callas. She once said, "Wherever I am, it is hectic." Hmm. Apparently, she had more legal uh, action and disputes around her wherever she sang. Her pl- private life was seldom out of the limelight too. Yet there was no denying that the magic of her personality is what brought a story to life on stage. Here's more Marie Callas, courtesy of Sony
0: Music. <speaking in Spanish>
2: i <laughs>
1: Of us with musical inspiration from Maria Callas. You know, diabetes affects more than just your blood sugars. It could lead to sudden mood changes and may even uh, put an emotional strain on a relationship and your personal life. Joining me to kick off the New York New Year New York and talk about her experience living with diabetes is a talented and wonderfully dramatic poet, Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine.
3: Good afternoon, Max.
1: Thank you for joining us at the opera tonight.
3: Well, you're quite welcome, and thank you for inviting me. I hope I look okay. I I wore my boa just for you.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. Have You know, I have been to the Met Opera several times right here in Lincoln Center, about 12 blocks away from my office. Have you ever gone?
3: I have. I have been to uh, the Met at Lincoln Center I think three times. I saw, um, you know, it's funny, I, I think I saw Swan Lake and, um, oh gosh, I don't remember what else, but it was a wonderful experience. Very dramatic, as you know.
1: It is, and you know, that's what we're talking about tonight, about being dramatic and being a drama queen. I mean, how have you dealt with the ups and downs of diabetes? Do you think you, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how, dr- how much of a drama queen are you? <laughs>
3: Um, I I probably used to be about a 14, Um, but over the years, I think I've mellowed. I'm like you, you know. I I think I've had type 1 for almost 40 years now, and, um, you know, I've gotten more accustomed to the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the things that I get frustrated with. So I don't think I'm as much of a drama queen as I used to be, Um, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think I've learned to be a little bit more mellow than I used to be. But there are still days when I, you know, I'm a little off the scale
1: well, what, What's something that you felt like you were once dramatic about that maybe now you feel like you do, it doesn't bother you as much or maybe you have a different way of looking at it? Like what would be yeah, specific I th- around that? I,
3: I think having lows, that was the big thing for me because when I first started um I you know, when I first started using insulin, um back in, you know, the day when you had syringes and everything. And um, I didn't really understand what the relationship between taking the insulin and eating and, you know, the balance that you had to strike. So I would take my insulin and then I would not realize that I had to eat right away or that, you know, I hadn't maybe eaten enough or I'd taken too much insulin. And I used to have lows that scared me, you know, and I didn't really know what to do about them. Over the years, I've learned how to handle them better and, you know, just not to overtreat them and, you know, to kind of wait it out, to, you know, do the 15 grams of carbohydrate and then wait 15 minutes and all of that. And I've gotten to where I don't panic anymore. It still, you know, doesn't feel great sometimes, but I've gotten to the point where I, I don't panic about it. Um, and that's that's a major difference for me because I, I just used to be scared all the time that something terrible would happen and I wouldn't be able to – To manage it, or I'd be in a place where I couldn't do anything, like driving in my car or something. So I've gotten way better than that, you know, over the years with that.
1: I think that's great. I think that's great for people to know that, you know, I know that's pretty common for people about the lows. And after I talk to you, we're bringing in uh, Dr. Wendy Staton, Rappaport, talk, who's a psychologist, talking a little bit about um, the diabetes psych. Actually, talking a little bit Um, how people relate to that and how how maybe they could find a better place to be like you have. So what is your poem for tonight to kick off 2020 with us in the middle of of our ninth year of podcasting?
3: I can't believe it's been that long. Congratulations again. Um, And a new decade. So we're going to start off on a a whole new decade now. Um, Well, the name of my poem is no drama because um, I, I try not to have any drama in my life. So, Um, uh, that's what I call my fault. I don't want to be a drama queen. I'd rather be something in between. I don't want to yell or raise my voice to let you know that it's my choice. I don't want to be a drama queen. I don't want to be a drama queen. I'd rather be something in between. I don't want to be mean or rude or tell you I don't want your food I don't want to be a drama queen. I don't want to be a drama queen. I'd rather be something in between. I don't want to get in fights or brawls, and I don't want to blend in with the walls. But I don't want to be a drama queen. I don't want to be a drama queen. I'd rather be something in between. I have my needs and preference, so treat me with some deference. I don't want to be a drama queen. It's nice, i like to be nice in thought and deeds while still attending to my needs and still be helpful and in charge when dealing with the world at large. I find that I can do these things without the drama queens and kings. In fact, I do much better than they when I remain above the fray. I don't want to give a drama projection. I don't want to deal with those who do. So if you're leaning in that direction, then I'll just stay away from you. I don't want to be a drama
1: queen. I love it, Lorraine. It's awesome. As, as I think like... <laughs> Yeah, you should. First, take another one. <laughs> I'll give you another one. Well, I mean, you're a demon, you a demo. So. Thank you. Wow, I oh, up great. My thank standing you. Up. Um, you know, I'm just curious, uh, what What went through your head while you're writing it? Because I would think if you were going to write about being a drama queen, you kind of have to ask yourself, uh, you know, when you, you sat down, you kind of had to ponder, like, what makes a drama queen, right? Like, what made you a drama queen? I know you referenced food in there. I, I know you referenced this idea about raising your voice, obviously yelling. Am I, am I raising my voice to be mean or am I trying to get something across, you know? And, right. and I'm just curious, like what, was there a trigger there for you? that something just, what bubbled up when you were doing it? Did you have any, um, perspective?
3: I did. I had a lot of thoughts about it because I know a lot of people who really are, you know, what we would call drama queens. And, I mean, you know, I think think sometimes it gets a bad rap when you try, you know, when you are dramatic, it it kind of has a negative connotation, but it doesn't always need to be that way. I mean, like you say, sometimes you need to get your point across, or you need to get someone's attention, or you need for somebody to know something. Um, But it doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, over the top, or make a big, deal out of something that isn't really that big a deal. And so I guess that's what I was thinking when I was writing it. it's like I know people who kind of make a big deal about everything even if it's not a big deal. And then you don't know when something really is a big deal because they make a big deal out of everything. And I don't want to be like that. You know, if I'm struggling with something or I'm having a problem and I say to somebody, listen, this is a problem, I want them to take me seriously and not just think, oh, here she goes again, you know. So that's kind of where I was yeah, at I when I was that. writing it. Yeah, you know, and I think that can happen. You know, if you if you if you, if you make a, a a fuss out of everything, then people don't really understand what really is a potential problem, especially with diabetes. And you know, for me, like I said, for having a low or something, if I tell somebody that I'm having a low or I need some orange juice or something, I'm I'm telling you, everybody rushes because they know I'm serious. I'm not just you know. Saying that, I really need something to happen. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think, I, and and by the way, men can be drama kings. It's not just women being drama queens. So, you know, I don't want Absolutely. people
1: to I, think don't, that I,
3: don't, it's I don't only women.
1: I don't. Yeah, I agree. I think we we could yeah. all be a little overly dramatic. Well, you know, yeah. it's 2020, and um, so I have one more thing before I let you go. I want to know how you solve a problem called Maria. <laughs> Thank
0: you, Maria. I have, I, I have to tell um, you.
1: I've,
3: Sometimes I can't listen to opera music sometimes without laughing because I was a big Victor Borga fan. I don't know if you remember Victor Borga, but he used to make fun of opera singers. And when they would hit those high notes, he would fall off the piano bench. <laughs> I just can't help thinking about that when I hear any opera singer. But Maria Callas had a beautiful voice. She's absolutely divine.
1: All right. So you're going to help me lead me into my next guest. But here's your we're going to ask you a quick question before you go. True okay. or false, Lorraine Brooks? Stress and anxiety are the same thing. Is that true or false?
3: Ooh, I think that's false. I think stress. Ooh. I think there's stress in life. Like to me, stress is something that happens, and anxiety is your response to it. Does that make sense? No.
1: (laughs) No, that's yes. I mean, we. Ooh la la. You nail that. Stress is a physical oh, response cool. to something you, you feel threatened by. Anxiety is an emotion that trigger that's triggered by stress. All oh, right, thank good. you, Lorraine. Okay. Yeah, you were. Thank you. Stay because coming up is my next guest. She's a clinical psychologist and, and an adjunct professor of medicine and diabetes at the Diabetes Research Institution, and co-author. We gave this book away. It's fabulous. Friendship Matters. Available on Amazon. Please welcome back to the show Dr. Wendy satin Rappor. Hello, Dr. Wendy.
4: Hi. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: I'm considering singing my answer. You look look fabulous.
4: (laughs) Thank you. I'm just going to twirl one more time. Yeah, thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a dramatic sweep on the red carpet like the Golden Globes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is an interesting topic. We've never talked about being a drama queen as it relates to diabetes because you know, there's that physical manifestation of fluctuating blood glucose levels that could really result in rapid mood changes, you know, so you could, you know, really have irritability. People could assume you're being dramatic, but you, like Lorraine just said a little bit earlier, you know, you could be experiencing a low blood sugar that could really begin to change how you or the world perceives you.
4: Yes. And also you could be experiencing a high blood sugar. If people are very moody when their blood sugars are high and irritable, and so and also the switch moving from one to the other very quickly, like as Lorraine suggested, sometimes people over treat a high because they feel frightened or scared. What does a high mean? And they can't wait to get it down. So they'll tend to over treat it. But, you know, it's it's interesting. So, I was thinking about what you're all saying. Go ahead.
1: No, I just want to Imagine. know how common has it been in your patient population to have people kind of express what Lorraine did about having fears and anxieties around potentially going low do you do you see that a lot have you heard that a lot
4: yes i'd say 100 percent of people feel it at some point and then they figure out what to do with it um and i think you know it's interesting when i was thinking about drama queen in a way that's a put down and we need to reframe it to it's not a put down if we have compassion to people who are that i mean think about what's underneath it no one's listening to me I feel depressed by my life. I feel anxious by my life. How can we put down, you know, those kinds of feelings? I feel insecure. And so, I mean, this is the reason that I'm always saying, like, in, you know, first of all, I think in life, everybody should have a psychologist, but with diabetes, absolutely, you need to have it because number one, you have to grieve. If you grieve over having the diabetes and then you find, okay, I'm gonna live with this. I'm gonna have purpose. You know, I'm gonna give back to others. I'm gonna help others do better you're already having an improved life. And once you do that, you're you feel more settled. But if you never have a chance to kind of grieve over it, because when you get diabetes, there's so much to learn, there's so much to do, and there's everyone around you saying, "How'd you get that number?" or "Don't eat that." You know, it people become involved in your world more than you want them to. So I think it's such potential between between the blood sugars themselves fluctuating the mood we have so many situations so drama queen let's 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 play it back a little bit to have compassion that it's a person who has depression or anxiety or feels that no one's listening you know and if I think people can be healed from that you know they can be listened well, to they can all, learn skills
1: also I I think there's also that ownership of it, of saying, like you're saying, like, I mean, saying you're a drama queen doesn't, I I do get the negative connotation, and I'm not trying to be a devil's advocate in a way, I guess I am, but I I do understand that. But I also think, like, what you're saying is, there's there's sometimes a real need to express yourself. Like Lorraine was saying, someone who just plays it really cool and never lets it out, well, then how does anyone come to their help? You know what I mean? If they're just kind of, Like she gave us two extremes: that someone who's not, who never says anything, doesn't, you know, and then you don't know when to help, versus Chicken Little, who is running around with her head cut off at every minute, and the rest of us in the office are rolling our eyes at that person because we're like, oh, here he or she goes again, you know. And the truth is, at that point, she kind that that over dramatic, traumatization kind of nullifies what my response would be. But there is a need to kind of embrace the idea of being dramatic in some sometimes, isn't there?
4: Yes, I, I think so. Because I think it helps you identify that you've got some strong feelings that you don't know what to do with or that nobody is listening or that they don't get you, why it's so incredibly hard. I mean, we have to just brush our teeth in the morning. People with diabetes have 18 more things to do a day, and they have emotions that are packed in with it, you know, so – you know, the, sometimes you do, you, you, sometimes you want compassion, sometimes you don't. I mean, after, there's so many ways to, to adjust to having diabetes in a healthy way. But I think one I of the reasons ask you, that...
1: I have two, two situations I want to ask you, and I want you to okay. tell me how you would handle it. Because a lot of people with type 2 are diagnosed under these, their, their numbers are really high. Their blood sugar numbers are like, you know, uh, everyone who's ever been on this show or we've met at the Deepa Better Cow Outreach has been like, one point away from, you know, dying is how they kind of explain it. So I'm curious, like, obviously these people have no idea that their blood sugars are going that high. And the fear is that it could happen again at any time. Right. And maybe some of them even passed out somewhere on a sidewalk, uh, shopping at a mall recently at their cousin's house, whatever. how does that person get over the fear of thinking their blood sugars could go high at any time for no reason in their mind.
4: Yeah, and I think that's where you talk out some of the issues, you know, that nobody shames you over what you did or didn't do to to get to that place. Um, And, you know, there are strategies. And, you know, the reality, though, is that information will help us. So, for example, people wear dexometers dexometers and, you know, they get the, the feedback ongoing. But one of the reasons people don't like to do that is because if they see like a 200, they feel like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm bad. You know, that's terrible. I'm ashamed. And if somebody else sees their number, they go like, how come you can't take care of yourself? Then they walk into the doctor and the doctor says, how come you can't take care of yourself? As opposed to what are the obstacles? What's, you know, like you're eating a lot. Why is that? And maybe underneath that would be a fear of low blood sugar. You know, or that you feel the agitation, like like say if your blood sugars are starting to run high, you feel actually anxiety or depression. Now, what do people do when they have anxiety or depression? They eat, right? I mean, hopefully they exercise, but like one, you know, poor choice would be to eat. And so, of course, you know, the blood sugars go higher. But I think part of it is identifying, you know, that kind of situation, talking about it, and also feedback. I mean, that's why we test blood sugars. You know, not to not to judge ourselves, but to give us freedom. It's work that gives you freedom. If you know your number, you know you're not going to go low. You know, if you know your number and you're high, you go like, ah, information. Let me get it down. Let me understand how it got so high. I can control this, and I'm not a sinner because my blood sugar is high.
1: And then you yes. just kind of began answering the second <laughs> scenario, which is the person with type one who, you know, is experiencing these dramatic lows, you know, and maybe uh, their lows led to, again, passing out or disorientation when they're driving or something like that. And they really are, they have no idea, you know, they could have a hypoglycemic um, low awareness and I mean, unawareness and maybe, you know, so they're no longer able to kind of feel something coming on. How do they kind of, what kind of strategies do they use for coping with that kind of, real, you know, anxiety around will this happen to me again?
4: Yeah, so I think that's that's a reasonable description. And I think what happens is when you get hypoglycemic unawareness when you have a lot of lows. Like your body doesn't know how to determine it. So you need to sometimes target a little bit of a higher blood sugar for a while so that you don't have a lot of lows. Some people are scared to do that. They don't want to you know, like in a way when you want to have a low, and not have want to have a low, but you want to stay low is because you have fear about complications. And so you're really trying to be quote unquote good, you know, so it's not like you're a bad person, but you're making a mistake perhaps in targeting it too low. Like I'm always saying to my patients, like I hear the, I hear the number go off, you know, and I go like, well, um, oh, so is that, if that's your alarm beeping, is that, you know, are you low? They go like, yes, I'm low. I said, so why do you have it go off when you're low? Why don't you have it go off when you're 100 and you haven't eaten, I'm not, not to say that that's the right answer, but so then you can prepare to not go low. But these are emotional changes that you have to make and physical changes, you know. But I think it's worth, you've got to have either a nurse practitioner or an educator or psychologist who helps you work through your fears. You're traumatized, it's like post traumatic stress in a, in a way, if you've been in a situation. And I teach people how to, like, say, you know, like use their humor. You know, like say you're giving a talk and you go low. You go like, um, yeah, I just thought I'd give you a break. Uh, forgot to tell you. You know, like, and you use humor and you never feel shame, because a low often means that you are trying really hard to to take good care of yourself. Too many lows okay. means something else.
1: And the last question around this, um, before we wrap up, is. You know, like you were saying earlier, being a drama queen has a negative thing to it. So if you feel like you're always being dramatic around your numbers and you really hate your diabetes because it makes you dramatic or anxious or whatever you want to call it, how do you, get, how do you start to, I don't want to say embrace your diabetes, but not hate it as much? Because I would think all these emotions would lead someone to hate it, hate it, hate it. And I know from all the work I've done in diabetic, it's about kind of learning to accept it. So I wonder how this kind of drama queen thing, how do you reverse that hate you have for what it does to you?
4: You know what? By naming it, by talking, by having self-awareness that you have the fury over it. And you have fury at other people who judge you. And the reason they judge you is because they feel they haven't helped you. You know, like if you're a kid and, you're, and you have a high blood sugar, your mother feels bad that she didn't motivate you. Your friends feel bad that you got a low when you're with them. Like, how come I didn't notice it? How come I couldn't help you? I think all these things can be healed. I mean, I guess I was giving a different case on the drama queen. I was kind of honoring it, that it's a way of saying, gosh, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. No one's listening. I'm sad about this. You know, and in a way, it's a wonderful signal if somebody really hears you. And I think you can be expressive. It also depends on who is looking at you calling you a drama queen. A quiet person who doesn't want anybody outspoken could call you a drama queen. You might not actually be one compared to whom are you a drama queen. It's not bad. It's just information, you know, that kind of emotional literacy that, that I've talked about before, the awareness of what hurts or makes us angry, and the ability to self-regulate it. Those are learned skills. You've got to have empathy for yourself compassion for yourself and a place to kind of grieve over these things. And it doesn't mean you just got diagnosed, you know, you can get diagnosed at 10 and have to go through these like grieving again when you're 15, what does this mean to me? Or I'm 25 and I want to have a child. Oh my God, this is so hard. You know what I mean? Like that's why I like people having a psychologist on their team or coach, social worker, so that you cope with this part. I mean, diabetes is not, is not medical. It's psychological too, our way we feel about it, um, and of well, course the I would, physical effects. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, I would love to have you on. I I think you are on my team, and I would love to have your help solving a problem called breathe. <laughs> Doctor, I'm going to put that in the <laughs> Hall of Fame of Sound Effects for Diva Talk Radio because it's 10 years, yes. <laughs> and I, frankly, I can't, I'm like Lorraine. I couldn't stop laughing. I had to kind of mute myself out. All right, so here's your question. <laughs> Thank you. How does solve a problem called Maria, like Maria Callas? Um, stress can drain the joy out from your day, but it does it serve a purpose in your life? Which of these might cause stress? Is it A, planning a wedding, B, traveling on vacation, or C, escaping a burning building, or D, all of the above. Which of these might cause <laughs> stress, Dr. White?
4: All of the above. But by the way, stress stress can be controlled when we – wait, nobody clapped yet. It is all of the above, isn't it? Of course. But I stress can so. be
1: controlled so, I mean, by the good way- things like going on vacation could cause me stress, right? It's not just negative. Yes. It, it could be some- – and my wedding, my biggest day of my life, could cause me stress.
4: Yes, because you're happy, but you want something and you can't control it. So people who handle stress best are people that learn to think of stress as a challenge, not a burden. Diabetes must be a challenge, not a burden. And, and the, what I would say is find optimism in your life, volunteer, have social connections, be grateful, and have purpose. Help other people with diabetes. Those are the ways that we heal, I think. And they're skills. Did you notice that I don't finish a sentence?
1: I think you're awesome. I love you. And guess what? The intermission is over. When we come back, we're going to be talking about being a drama queen around food. But Dr. Wendy, if you'll join me now, we're going to go into the Met Opera, sit in those lovely uh, red velvet seats, uh, turn on our little translators, which are right at the front of your chair when you're watching the opera, and listen to some more great opera music selections from the grandiose Fidman, courteous, courteous, uh, courteous, God, I can't say that courtesy of Sony courtesy. Music when we come back we'll be talking to uh, Jill Westenberger, thanks for joining us Dr. Wendy, let's listen to some more Maria Callas pleasure, thanks Good Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we're talking about being a drama queen with musical inspiration from Maria Callas. You know, there's no other time of the year than dramatic goals around food or weight loss are more prevalent than the new year, new year. And here to talk to me about that is a Certified Diabetes Educator, well, uh, best-selling author of the book, Free Diabetes, A Complete Guide to Diabetes Weight Loss, week by week. She's going to help us take some of the drama away from making better nutrition. Choices. Please welcome Jill Wessenberger. Hi, Jill.
5: Hello, hello.
1: Thank you for
0: us tonight. Happy we're at New the
1: Year. opera and we're so happy New Year. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Um, you know, I was uh watching T V and uh it's right now it's covered with diet ads. the Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, uh gym gym membership. I went to my gym class, which was totally dead between Christmas and New Year's. Of course, this week I went to my gym class and it was like, you know, 75 people I never saw before. I mean, everyone okay. right now has these kind of dramatic goals around either uh, toning up, losing weight, or, tr- or totally changing uh, their habit around food. I'm just curious, like, what's the, str- what's the best way to approach this in the New Year, New, new You mentality?
5: Well, that's a really good question, and a lot of people ask me ask me that. How am I going to make all these great changes that I want to make? And I usually say something along the lines of when it comes to permanent health habits. Easy is our best friend. So it's not grandiose, huge New Year's resolutions. It's not I'm going to lose 50 pounds, I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to stop eating all sugar, anything like that. But I think we, we experience, Better change when we can build momentum and motivation by experiencing success. So that's why I say easy. You want to make your first goals easy so you can feel success. And it's hard to change. We have to give ourselves that credit that it's hard to change.
1: So, well, like, you know, is that meaning having a smoothie every morning? I mean, like everything right now, uh, you know, like, well, let's take this on. The Golden Globes the other night, they had a whole vegan or plant-based menu. Is that, mm-hmm. uh, is that a healthy habit that I could sustain all year long? I usually like to have a, uh, some kind of animal protein at least twice a day, me personally. But is that something that I really could sustain?
5: Some people do, of course, but it doesn't sound to me like that's something you want to do. So, you know, one of the first things to think about is, like, what is your biggest aspiration? So are you looking for saving the planet and making a resolution like that? Are you looking at improving your health? So think about what is your aspiration? And let's just say it's improving your overall health. And the planet, of course, is, is another terrific goal. But to improve your overall health, well, why do you want that? Think about what is your motivation for that, and so maybe it's so you can have the energy to, to, to dance because you haven't been going to dance lately, or maybe it's because you want to stop worrying about diagnoses that you are, you know, you fear that you're going to get, something like that. So think about your, your aspiration, think about your motivation, and then think about what are some of the behaviors that are going to get you there. So if your goal is to improve your diet and lose some weight, what are 30 different things you could do? And then just pick a couple of them and make sure that they're doable for you. You don't have to like say, I'm gonna give up all animal uh, products beginning right this minute, but you might say, I'm gonna try two vegan dinners a week or something like that. Because you know, the more successful you feel, the more pride you have in yourself, and the easier it is to make bigger and better changes.
1: I love it. All right. So how about this one? I don't. I'm not going to eat anything white in 2020. I'm not going to have white <laughs> bread, white pasta, white rice, white potatoes, sugar. I don't. You know. But you hear it all the time. Like nothing. You know. Because everyone says they don't eat anything white. How would I make that a real? How would you take that and turn it into a realistic goal for me?
5: Okay, so let's see. First of all, I would chat with you for a while and see what your motivation is and what your overall aspiration is. But if your goal is, let's to say, um, eat more whole and minimally processed foods over highly processed foods, then maybe we'd talk about having a bowl of oatmeal with some diced apple and cinnamon, even though oatmeal is white, it's a very nutritious food, So maybe we talk about that instead of having an oatmeal apple cookie, or an oatmeal apple bar, snack bar, that type of thing. Um, Maybe we would talk about trying some brown rice instead of white rice, or maybe instead of having a 12 ounce potato, we'd have a five ounce potato. So I think that really the missing key to so much behavior change is that we don't give ourselves credit for our successes and we ride ourselves very, very, very hard for things that we don't do perfectly. And that is just, there are too many shades of gray. We have to look at all those shades of gray. Even if you ate, um, let's just say white rice and you had planned to eat brown rice, well, You still have things that you can celebrate that you have made the decision to get the brown rice, that you're going to buy it tomorrow, and there's still things to feel good about. And I think that's the missing piece.
1: All right. So my grandmother makes amazing egg salad, but I have high cholesterol, so I'm not going to eat eggs ever again. That's my resolution for 2020. (laughs) Uh, How would you help me make that a healthy habit? or how would you what would you advise me Jill? and I, that that's a oh, we're giving goodness. you a fictitious
5: idea. yeah you you're rough on me tonight aren't you okay so
1: I, well I, you're all, you're, you're would, so good at this i feel like when i get you i have to ask you <laughs>
5: um first of all i would want to to let you know about the latest research about eggs and cholesterol so the american heart association the american um, college of endocrinologists or I'm sorry, the American College of Cardiologists came out with a statement a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, saying that dietary cholesterol is less of a concern than we used to think it, it was. And that doesn't mean blood cholesterol is less of a concern. But things that affect blood cholesterol, such as saturated fat in the diet, that's a bigger risk for high cholesterol and heart disease and the cholesterol in our diet so i know that gets confusing when we say cholesterol in the diet and cholesterol in the blood but the bottom line is that for most people not everyone but for most people cholesterol in the diet is not the thing that raises cholesterol in the blood so unless you have especially high cholesterol or we know that you are one of those people who do have um, who are sensitive to cholesterol in the diet? Then I would tell you to enjoy your eggs a few times a week. There's not too many people I would say not to have eggs because eggs are low in saturated fat. They're high in protein. They're easy to cook. They're versatile. They taste good. Even people with um, you know poor dentition can can cook them, can eat them, and even my most cooking challenged patients over the years have been able to scramble some eggs. So there's lots of good reasons to have them. And I think that, it, that it's smart to watch cholesterol, but there's other things that are are more important to your blood cholesterol. All
1: right. Well, uh, Jill, a few more questions. My next guest, who's a no um, diabetes by heart ambassador, Rob, uh, Rob 12. He, went to his, he enrolled in a fitness center in North Carolina, and he cre- crea- credits them with completely retraining them on how to eat well. He actually learned everything on how to read nutritional lo- labels to how to slow down and stop eating instead mm-hmm. of troubling the food, mouth like the back of the truck. But, you know, I just went to my gym class on Sunday, and my trainer come, came up to me and said, you know, Max, I don't just uh, do training. I also could help you with food. So isn't it great, I mean, is that great that I have a fitness trainer who also says he's a quote-unquote nutritionist? Is that who I should go to for food <laughs> advice? Because, I mean, he's right there, Jill. I want to know, like, you know, because this is happening every day, and I'm joking about it, but, you know, we, there's lots of fitness trainers out there masquerading as nutritionists, and I'm just, so many people are trying to make a weight loss goal. What, who do they reach out to, and right. who, should, who should they trust with their ha- habits around nutrition? And obviously well, for Rob, it works out, but it doesn't work out for all
5: of us. Sometimes trainers are also registered dietitian nutritionists, but most of the time they are not. So that would be my first question. And what is your background in nutrition? Are you a registered dietitian nutritionist? Do you have college degrees, a master's degree in nutrition, something like that? Um, But I would really like you to see somebody like me. So if diabetes is the interest, then I would look for a registered dietitian nutritionist who also specializes in diabetes, if it's weight management then I would look for somebody who also specializes in weight management because um, as a registered dietitian nutritionist, there are, you know, some generalists, (coughs) excuse me, there are some generalists, but there are also those of us who specialize in various things. So try to find somebody who has lots and lots of experience with people who are like you. And a great place to go is to eatright.org. And you just put in your zip code and it'll give you a list of people who are near you.
1: And they're and they are really available. They're plenty they're plentiful and very close that so people don't have you know, they don't just have to go to the person with a six pack to get nutritional advice. They could actually reach out to someone who's exactly. a registered dietitian. All right, so and Jill, before of the you time- wrap it up. Oh, I'm sorry.
5: I was just going to say most of the time insurance will cover as well if it's for diabetes, and very often it does for for weight management.
1: All right. So before we ask you to go, I have one problem I would really like your help with, and that's how do you solve a problem called Maria? (laughs) All right, Jill, I'm going to ask you a question related to being a drama queen, and you're going to give us uh, some advice. We're talking to Jill Westenheimer. She's Westenberg, or excuse me, gosh. (laughs) Maria Callas (laughs) has got my brain all in the fog tonight. But you have some amazing stuff on your Nutrition Jill website that people should really go and check out. i I love to follow your blog and just spread about something you wrote today. Uh, Here's the question, though. True or false? Chronic stress can affect your waistline. Is that true or false? You know, there's a lot of stuff Stressing us out right now with upcoming elections Mm -hmm. and certain kind of government decisions and every day and impeachment and I'm not going to be political but all that stuff on top of you know does your boyfriend or girlfriend like you could really add up? Mm -hmm. So uh, true or false? Do chronic stress affect our waistlines?
5: I will say true. To can that it can. But I am not going to say true that it always will. And that's because, you know, sometimes people have stress and they have, and it reduces their appetite. So sometimes that's not true at all. But there's two ways which stress and chronic stress could potentially pack on the pounds around your waist or have overall body weight gain. And that is one, a lot of times when we are stressed out, we don't sleep well, we don't do other activities that are important for self-care and we tend to overeat. That's one way. The other way is that some of us are more sensitive to hormonal fluctuations, particularly with cortisol during stressful encounters. And cortisol is is one of those hormones that helps us to pack on the pounds and particularly around the waistline.
1: Great. Right. All right. Well that's something that came in mind everyone. So stress eating, they should be kind of I like to work out, I like to sweat it out when I'm stressed. That's how I do it. I know that's not for everyone, but for me I I I, always feel better when
5: I work out. Always.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well you know what? Maria Callas feels better when she's singing and she was known for being very bitter towards her family. She had no communication with her family since uh, she said back in 1971. And here's the killer she knew her mother wrote a book about her, but she never read it. (laughs) Talk about Drama Queen. Right after this, we're going back with No Diabetes by Heart Ambassador Rob Cobb. Right now, it's time for more Maria Callas, courtesy of Sony Music. Thanks, Jill, for being on the show. Diabetic. You know, um, a lot of times we have, like Maria Callas had problems with her family, but a lot of times we have problems with our health care providers. So sometimes we don't like the doctors we work with. And earlier, uh, later last year in November, I was invited, or maybe it was December, to the No, no Diabetes by Heart Um They had a kickoff party for all these amazing ambassadors, which are people who were living or affected with type uh, 2 diabetes and also were dealing with heart issues. And my next guest, uh, all these people were invited to bring a champion, someone who really inspired them to want to face their risk for heart disease head on. And uh, my next guest, I was just so blown away because he didn't bring his sister or his wife or his brother. He brought his doctor. And, you know, I think we often overlook how important that relationship with our doctor is in transforming our health. So I was just um, so completely taken back by this guy because he's he's, he's in media. He's a big TV personality, radio guy, um, and uh, he just spoke so well on stage. I always admire that. But he just really, I just took his message to heart. So please welcome to the show. Rob, the No Diabetes by Heart, one of the ambassadors, one of my favorite ambassadors, I should say. Hello, Rob. Oh, la,
6: la. Hi, it's great to be on your show.
1: You were fantastic when I got to see you in New York City, and it's true. You got your doctor with you as your champion, and I want to talk, I want to get your... I want you to explain why you did that how the, how she, who she is and how she has really influenced you and and what makes it and how you've been able to have an effective relationship with her
6: Well, it's kind of funny that you know my family's so sick of me if I asked my kids or my wife or anybody to come on, they probably would have, wouldn't have done it but it it i didn't so just to give you a little background, I do work in media a lot. And have done a lot of work with Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center. And I did, I used to have a show on WOR AM radio, and I had a lot of doctors on the show. So I'm, I got to have all these fantastic doctors from Columbia University Medical Center or Columbia Presbyterian. I don't, I've never figured out their brand. They also call themselves, they're part of Cornell. But anyway, I met Evelyn Grenieri, who's the head of geriatrics there. So her youngest patient is probably 85 years old. And she and I really hit it off, and she became a guest many times on the show. And she started giving me advice, and she also she started as a nutritionist before she became an MD. And when I was first approached by the No Diabetes by Heart organization, they said, who would your champion be? And I remember really thinking, God, because they said, you know, we want to bring you and your champion to Dallas. I thought, ah. I can't even get my, my family to come downtown and, and to Greenwich Village with me from the Upper East Side. I, and I said, I, and it just struck me, you know, Dr. has helped me so much. And she's been such an influence on my life. And I'm so impressed with her. So I just threw out her name and prayed that she would say yes, which she did. And uh, it's it's been a great experience. And I I just think that all doctors are are not given enough credit today, but somebody like Dr. Grinieri is just so altruistic, and has really dedicated her life to helping people. And she's helped me, and it's 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 really a, it's a it's a, an honor to be friends with her.
1: Well, something you said in an interview I listened to over the weekend uh, about her was, you know, you you can you mentioned in an interview that um, most people know everything about their favorite sports team, but they know nothing about their body and how their body works, and that you thought that was a pivotal education that people specifically with diabetes or facing heart risk should know. And I assume that your doctor was able to really kind of explain, as you said, because she deals in geriatric. She, knows, she has seen how bodies uh, advance and age through time, and that basically versus being 20 years old when nothing happens. By the time you're 80 or 90, everything happens. And she kind of helped break down those how, how your body works, including what organ produces insulin, how the liver works, and, and that really also inspired you and, and sparked an interest for you to kind of take care of your health. Talk a little bit to that.
6: Sure. I, I, in you know, Dr. Granieri, w- the first thing she will tell you is, you know, if you're, you're 40 years old, there's not going to be, you know, you might have one problem like, Oh, uh, you know, I hurt my foot or my arm hurts or, uh, you know, something, maybe I, I have some chest pain or some, or I have a, a little bit of a of acid reflux. And then as the each decade goes by, suddenly when you're in your eighties, you're going to have be you're going to be suffering from a lot of things. I'm 63. And, uh, I take a lot of pills and medication, but uh, it, it's it's rare that we get to interact with a doctor as much as I have with her. And she just really made me be aware of who and what I am. And it's like, uh, I'll look at, you know, we'll, we'll plan to, to meet our stockbroker, or our money manager, and we'll go on the internet and learn about IRAs and where to invest our money or what stocks are good or know everything about Apple, or we're going to know everything about, you know, our, our favorite quarterback. and, and like. Tom Brady or who's the best basketball player in the world or everybody has a fantasy football team, but they don't know what their cholesterol is or uh, information about their blood glucose or even what, you know, what happens when we have a heart attack? I mean, I never knew that when I was younger. And, and it's like, I, you know, what does a heart attack mean? I was like a bunch of cowboys and Indians riding in on horses, and shooting at your heart. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, a little army coming after you, you know, and, and, I think a big part of, of what we still need to do is educate our, our our kids as to you know what happens. What does it mean when you get sick? What is diabetes? What's going to happen? And my mother used to yell at me, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. If she would have told me you're going to score 30 points on your basketball game tonight, I probably would have eaten more broccoli. All
1: right, so now, um, Rob, tell us a little bit about your history with diabetes because it's an interesting story. And then what led to... Uh, the whole risk of heart disease. Obviously, it's with diabetes, but I want you to explain that. I just gave it away. You heart disease (laughs) runs rampant
6: in my family. It's hard to believe that my grandfather in 1966 was 66 years old, my paternal grandfather. And so I was 10 years old then, and he had a heart attack. And, of course, I didn't even understand what that was, and, He, he, you know, I've come to find out that he suffered from heart disease. They didn't have bypasses then. They had very few prescription drugs. He also smoked cigarettes. We didn't know much about health or diet. And he was a pharmacist and a very educated guy. And he passed away at 66. Then his son, my dad, (laughs) had red meat every day for three meals, I think, for his entire life. Had a massive coronary at 66. And he would have died had he not had a bypass. And, you know, even then I still, because I was, I was younger and, and an athlete and health seemingly healthy, I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to what was going on with my dad, nor did I look at my mother's side of the family who all had diabetes. And uh, I, I paid the price for it. Not that I think I necessarily would have stopped anything from happening, but I could have been proactive earlier. Which is is what our our real mission is with No Diabetes by Heart, and is making people aware and proactive and cognizant of their lives and their bodies and their history, family history.
1: I love it. I think it's great. All right, I'm going to bring in um, our final guest, our lovely Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia.
0: Ooh la la.
1: Hi, Max. How are you? Great, you're on with Rob from No Diabetes by All Art, right. with the Ambassadors. I thought I thought I tag team the two of you to talk a little bit, Rob, because we, you know, predominantly we're diabetic. We're talking about drama queens. We we have a largely female audience, um, but we we love to celebrate men, and we have men on our show. Um, and we, we have okay. men It's okay. I'm our a pretty audience. big
6: drama queen. I know a lot about Broadway, and I love Dustin
1: Merman. Uh, well, there you go. All right. So, we, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this risk for heart disease between men and women because it's not exactly the same. Like some of the things your father was experiencing might not be the same things that a woman is experiencing. And I wanted uh, to ask Patricia a little bit about that. And then, Rob, I wanted to follow up with you after Patricia about another question. So, Patricia, sure. is there a difference between symptoms between men and women when it comes to heart attacks?
7: Yes, uh, those symptoms may vary quite, uh, you know, they're they're nothing alike. As a matter of fact, in women, often it's not related to the chest pain that men feel at all. Most of the symptoms um, you will hear women talk about are symptoms such as neck pain or jaw pain, or it can be in the back of the abdomen. Sometimes sometimes there's shortness of breath. Sometimes there may be pain um, in the arm, nausea, vomiting, feeling lightheaded, um, fatigue, being tired, or indigestion. So the symptoms can be very misleading, and a lot of times it's thought to be something GI in nature rather than cardiac. So women act, actually often have heart attacks and not even know that they've had one.
1: Right, and you know Rob, I mean, given that scenario and the fact like you were saying earlier, like you weren't really, you had a family history of heart disease on one side and diabetes on another side and uh, your mother encouraging you to eat vegetables, but you're still doing your own thing. How how are you working with the Heart Association and Diabetes uh, Association of America to really kind of get the word out to people who are at risk but haven't had a warning sign yet, or just like Patricia said, might not the warning sign they're looking for might not be the one that they experience?
6: It's 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 an interesting and tough task because, like Patricia said, you know you there's different symptoms and sometimes there are even no symptoms like the high blood pressure is known as the silent killer. And so, and Dr. Granieri has her big catchphrase for me and for other people is, you know, if you could go back and talk to your 27 year old self, would they listen to you? And I said, maybe if they brought a picture of me when I would really gained a lot of weight, but you know, you'd be stubborn. So, it's, it's not an easy mission, but I think it's all about awareness and education and and reaching out positively, not saying, you know, you're going to die if you don't do this, or you're overweight, or you're obese, but say, you know, you want to live the best, healthiest life you can. If, if if you have kids or you want to have kids and live a, a better life, then, you know, consider the following and look at your family history. I mean, I, I really feel bad that that I never learned more about diabetes when my mother was really suffering, and then she ended up with pancreatic cancer. And in retrospect, had I done some research and due diligence, we have Google and the internet, I, I could have helped her a lot because she was from an even another a different generation that that didn't that just wasn't cognizant. I think as time progresses and as we we get more sophisticated people are learning more yet we're be, there's more and more diabetes it's there's a real irony here
1: no I want to bring in I want to bring in dr. Wendy again on the show because uh, you're bringing up an important point dr. Wendy about this whole thing about regret you know like we're talking now about someone who, Um, was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and now went to their doctor and is facing a heightened risk for heart disease. And like Rob just said, uh, you know, if I had known more, I would have done more. I mean, how does someone get a little bit out of that trench around a new year, new you, to really kind of take advantage of what all these incredible resources provided by the American Heart and American Diabetes, Diabetes Association around no diabetes by heart and really make a life change in a positive way?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we see, like, what he did, and I, I think he's also requesting that, like, even when your mother was sick, they should have treated the whole family because the family does affect what we do, and I'm sure you were just scared to death to watch your mother be sick. So some people could be motivated differently. They could start doing things that they were scared, and other people could just push it even further away or use food to cope. So I think the individual, how, do, how are you motivated? Are you made up, motivated by others? Most people are not motivated by fear, but some people are motivated by facts and some people are motivated by feelings. And that's why I think, you know, using the family as a setting, anytime anyone gets diagnosed for anything, what does this disease mean to you? You know, if somebody at that time would have been able to say to, you know, Rob, like, what's this like for you going through with your mother? How do you think it happened? What does it make you want to do in your own life? You know, when you ask questions. How do you talk to yourself when this is happening? Um, this, people are sometimes change their habits because they just have an inner desire to do it. And some people need accountability. So some people need weight watches because they got to go every single week, you know, but we have to, we have to individualize our treatment, I think, and also do it as a family, you know, with kids who are overweight, if the whole family changes the behavior, you know, or, you know, so to the prevention of diabetes, if the whole family changes the behavior, like, if you, you know, start to say things like, you know, you're not going to get any vegetables unless you eat all your ice cream. You know, we got to change the way that we're, you know, influencing people, you know, and not make the value be so much on the foods that aren't great. You were supposed to laugh at that, Max. <laughs> but whatever.
0: <laughs> I was laughing. I had a
6: big, raw, inward chuckle.
1: I, I was laughing, but okay. then I was, I was getting, you know, my finger. I'm, I was just thinking to myself, Rob, uh, Dr. Wendy and Patricia and I have a problem we want you to solve, Rob, and it's called, um, we need your help solving a problem called Maria.
0: Oh my
1: gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Patricia, I didn't realize that was you. I thought that was Maria Callas. That's been incredible all night long. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. You can glass of water. All right, Rob. You too much Maria Callas for me. You know, I cry easily. <laughs> all right, so here's your question to help us raise awareness yeah. for uh, being drama queens for the year. we got the, on our panel of experts, we have Dr. Wendy and Patricia. True or false, um, you can control... You can have some control over your stress, how stress affects you. I'm sorry. True or false? You could have some control over how stress affects you. True. True. True? Oh, I Are see true? you? Have Dr. Wendy has... Dr. Wendy? Yes, oh, true. You, don't, be... don't, have to be... yeah.
4: Yeah. you don't have to be afraid of stress. Yeah, you don't have to be afraid of stress. You have to welcome it and make it a challenge and get help with it and eat egg but if white you, salad. If you're,
1: stressed out about, if you're stressed out about going low or like Rob stressed out about getting heart disease, how does he how does he make peace with stress?
4: You know, he names it, he identifies it, he welcomes it and says, okay, ten percent stress, if I if I have a ten of stress, I won't do the right choices. But if I can talk myself or say myself or put on Marie Callas and and lower the stress from ten to three, then I can handle it better. Like you just got to recognize that you have it. You don't eat it away. You welcome it and you say, what does this mean for me? The same way with guilt. Guilt can be great if you have a little bit because it helps you change. Discomfort is what helps us change. The knowledge that we have discomfort, you know, and then we need the help in the skills. Name it, regulate it, talk with people. Don't be alone. Start singing, start writing.
6: Listen to a Stephen Sondheim song. He's written something for just about every circumstance. And then you get on the treadmill at the same time
4: and you cover both. Right. Multitasking is a great way. Exactly. I
1: love it. And and Patricia, um, is stress linked to diabetes or a diagnosis? Well,
7: yes. Um, When you're stressed, then the liver does have more glucose. Uh, It puts more glucose into your bloodstream. And so that is that fuel that gives you the fight or the flight response. So when you: You're absolutely
6: the- correct. I just got to interject for a second because I just really learned about this because I'm wearing a, a diabetes sensor device now on my arm, so I can check my glucose all the time, and now I'm finding, like, in times of stress or frustration, I'll take a swipe with my reader, and I was like, "Oh my God!" And it's uh you know it's my blood sugar's just gone up like forty points or sixty points it's over two hundred even though I don't have, I haven't had anything to eat
7: so you're right. Great and there's first hand experience with that.
4: But what you do at that time is that you don't go like oh my god you say wow <laughs> time for me to deep breathe you know see it's what you do with that number you don't feel bad about it you go like wow interesting information. Gee, I could prepare myself differently when I have stress. Or the minute I feel stress coming on, I'm going to start singing, putting on music, writing an opinion piece about why I'm mad, um, or call someone and talk through what you're frustrated about. We don't want to be afraid of stress. We want to have skills to handle stress, to know it's happening. I'm going to
6: call Max because this is working pretty well for me tonight.
4: I
1: think. (laughs) Yeah,
4: you're giving everyone.
1: Well, you know, you're all in for a treat because coming up in a minute, uh, one of our guests from South Africa is calling in. She's the director and author of Yoga for Diabetes, and um, she is going to do what has become a tradition here at Diabetes Late Night where we start with a self-guided meditation to help take away some of the stress that might be in our lives today. And I think uh, a little time meditating is uh, every day can really help someone get centered. And I'm, I'm sure all of you agree. Does anyone, uh, Dr. Wendy or Rob or Patricia, do any of you meditate on a regular basis? Um, I'll take that as a... I do it irregularly. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: definitely do it I irregularly. I walk around,
1: so. Well, uh, Rachel does like a three-minute um, uh, meditation that is really helpful. But first... I gotta go back to her. It's it's the year of the diva, and I was late night. I don't think we've ever had a bigger diva on the show. She's been so much fun to play. If you've never listened to Maria Callas, you have to run out and go get this grandiose Fillmore album from previous uh, of Swinny Music. Let's listen to her one more time before we bring in our final guest, Rachel. Bidman. drama queen about living with diabetes. My next guest has helped to create a wonderful diabetes late-night tradition for us to help you kick off the new year right with a guided meditation. She's an internationally renowned yoga teacher and writer who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 2008. You can read all about her experience as well as strategies for managing your diabetes on her Yoga for Diabetes blog and in her book, which is one of Diva favorite things. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Zinman. Hi, Rachel.
8: Hi. Max, <laughs> it's so great to
1: you Thanks for kicking off the new year with us with this tradition of a self-guided meditation.
8: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to sharing this one. This one is a big one in my toolkit.
1: Now, is this something that helps you uh, if you ever feel like you're acting like a drama queen about living with diabetes? <laughs>
8: Absolutely. I mean, just the other day, I had this, you know, super low, and I just, I could feel that panic rising, you know, and I thought, you know what, I've just got to calm down and connect with nature, and sometimes, you know, you're not in nature, so if you imagine nature, it has the same effect, because the brain doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination, And so that um, immediately helps me and calms me down.
1: I love it. Now, you know, a lot of our listeners, Rachel, since we've been doing this the last couple of years, are really excited about you sharing this tonight. But there's some people out there who don't know anything about meditation. So what can you tell them about doing a meditation for those people who might be considering doing more of that in the coming year?
8: Okay. What's beautiful about meditation is it teaches uh, the mind and the body to relax, and it does that by giving the mind a focus. So we have the ability to focus on anything, right? We focus on, um, you know, simple everyday tasks like doing the dishes, or um, you know, even when we're doing something uh, like driving, we have to concentrate. So meditation is actually just concentration, and as soon as you start to concentrate in on one thing, then all the preoccupations we have with our thoughts basically just fall away, so we're really just left with um, that sense of uh, peace that comes, you know, the same feeling that you have like when you're watching a sunset or you're... Um, with your beloved, or you're just doing something really joyful, that's also a moment of deep concentration, and you're not thinking about anything else. So it's just a a great tool to center, calm, and ground so that you can, um, you know, have a little bit of space from that intensity that diabetes brings.
1: And it doesn't require any kind of special clothes or equipment or anything like that. Just if people are listening, right?
8: Absolutely. I mean, you can meditate anywhere because you can concentrate anywhere. So it's it's not about uh, any kind of specific rules or guidelines. It's just all you really need is a couple of minutes to just focus your energy, and hope, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so you're going to be sharing a five-elements guided meditation tonight. What can you tell us about it before we begin?
8: Well, what we're going to do is just really tune in to the different senses. Um, We have the sense of hearing. We have the sense of touch, the sense of sight, taste, and smell. And each of those senses relates to an element. So in order for us to... Um, here, we need something to travel from point A to point B, so it travels through the medium of space. In order for us to touch something, we actually need a little bit of air between the surface and what we're touching. In order for us to see, we need fire, we need light. In order for us to taste, we need water on our tongue. And in order for us to smell, there has to be a little uh, combination between the earth and, uh, and um, the air, which creates a gas, and then, and then we're able to smell. So we're, I'm going to take the, you know, everyone through these five elements by tuning in through the senses.
1: All right. Well, I'm ready to uh, have you take over the show and help everyone kick off their new year in a happy and healthy way. Here's Rachel Zimman with the five elements self-guided meditation, I mean guided meditation for tonight.
8: All right. So I'd like everyone to sit as comfortably as you can. You can be seated in a chair. You can sit on the floor. You might want to have something against your back so you're comfortable. Um You might even want to do this one lying down, whatever feels comfortable to you. And then I'd like you to start by just gently becoming aware of your breath, noticing your breath as it enters and leaves your nostrils. You might even want to focus on just that point above the top of your lips and just see if you can sense the softness of your breath and even feel the temperature of your breath. And then I'd like you to start to focus on the sounds, the sounds that you can hear in the space around you, the sound of my voice, and just see if you can reach and stretch your awareness to the furthest sound. It might even be a sound outside your house of cars going by. It might be the sound of birds. See if you can keep reaching and stretching your awareness to the furthest sound. And notice what happens to your breath. Now become aware of where your hands are touching your body. Maybe they're on your thighs. Maybe they're resting in your lap. And also become aware of any parts of your skin that are exposed. And see if you can feel the air touching your skin. See how sensitive you can become to the sense of touch and the element of air, noticing any breeze or any change in temperature on your skin. Now, become aware of your eyes and close your eyes and notice how when your eyes are closed, seeing continues and notice through your closed eyelids, any colors or patterns, any kind of light that's filtering through the eyelids. And this is the sense of sight and the element of fire. Now become aware of the water on your tongue, the, the saliva in your mouth. Maybe even take a swallow. And see if you can sense what taste is dominant in your mouth right now. Salty, sweet, sour, bitter, pungent, or astringent. The sense of taste relates to the element of water. Water is nourishing, soothing, calming, flowing. Now, become aware of the element or the sense of smell. Just notice what you can smell right now, coming and going. And this relates to the element of earth, to your bones, to your muscles, to your tissues. And just notice the bones, your sitting bones, whether you're sitting on a chair, whether you're seated on the floor, maybe even you can feel the bones of the body if you're lying down, and then scan your awareness all the way from your feet to the crown of your head, and once again feel how your body occupies the space. Feel your body in the space, and return to the experience of breathing taking long slow gentle breath in whatever way feels comfortable to you and then when you're ready just gently open your eyes and come back to normal waking consciousness and that's the end
1: that was great that was really great I, I was actually <laughs> doing it <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> and I wanna make sure I gave Lisa a sec I I wanna make sure I give her producer Lisa a second to get the clip. But that was that was great, Rachel. Thank you so much.
8: Oh, awesome. Great.
1: Well, enjoy your holidays and um Thank I, you, I, I you too. I appreciate everything you do and I wish you and your husband a very happy and healthy new year and again it's it's fabulous to have you be part of the Diabetes Late Night team and do this for us every year oh, I just, thank you so I, much I, it's it's,
2: it's
8: just so lovely and i love everything you do and what you share and i just think you know it's so important to connect and help people connect through this you know through this online world and everything because you know living in south africa it's just there's a lot of diabetes here but there's not a lot of knowledge you know so it's just it's so important it's just incredible
1: no, I know, and I love, I I agree, and I love the idea of just kind of mixing it up and surprising people with different elements like this, you know what I mean? I just think it makes a difference, yeah. you know, because maybe they didn't yeah. listen to it two years ago or whatever, but, you know, one day, it just, you never know. So thanks again, happy holidays, and okay. uh, have a lovely happy day. Happy holidays or night. To you. Okay. All right, All right you right.
8: Too. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye, thank you. He's <laughs>